0: Hey, there's light. (laughs) Church is a verb. It's actually a noun, but you get the idea, right? Like, we're supposed to be doing some stuff. So I'm glad that you're here. We can do some stuff here this morning. My name is Keith Elwine. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, and this is week two of the series. Stop going to church, people! Justin reminded us last week, we should stop going to church, and yet you're still sitting here. I, I don't understand. Did you not hear the message? I said stop going to church, but no. The point, right? It's good to do this. It's necessary to have fellowship, community. We're never meant to do it alone. But instead of that, just going to church. Let's be the church. Hey, that's my, that's my name. Um. So he talked about last year or last week. Stop going to church. Instead. Be the church. He focused on serving. Like Phoebe, she was in the Bible. She she was a servant, basically served, and that was how she was the church. And in fact, she had the churchy title of deacon, which means servant. This week, once again, I get to encourage us: stop going to church. Maybe we'll get the message: be the church, in particular, by giving, by being generous. And I don't think we can ignore the unusual times that we're in, okay? So the questions I'm looking at, how can, I, how can we be generous in this moment, in this weird place that we find ourselves in? I feel like I should back up. I've seen spit fly out before, and, and it's, I got tested. I'm negative, but I'm just going to be super safe. How can I be the church in particular in this moment? I'm going to share a letter I found. Maybe you've read it, too. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther? Okay, Martin Luther. Yeah, he wrote a letter. He lived like 500 years ago. Wrote this letter, and I think there's something for us in this letter. Um, Martin Luther, in 1520s, he was in Wittenberg in Germany. Um, He's a pastor, a theologian, a teacher. Um, actually, a songwriter, musician, husband, father, kind of a Renaissance guy. And the plague arrived in Wittenberg. Okay, so in the 1300s, the Black Plague made its entrance into the world. And after that, it kind of kept popping up here and there. And it popped up in his hometown, where he was a professor. And here we go Wittenberg has the plague. The university left town, and I don't know how they discovered, he probably talked to him, but maybe one day they're like, hey, where's Martin? He's not here. Martin and his wife, Katerina, had decided, yeah, we're not going. We're going to stay in Wittenberg. We're going to minister. We're going to help people. We're going to do our duty. And in fact, they really did. So they had people with the plague into their home. They nursed them. One person died practically in Martin Luther's arms. There was a chaplain. Um, His wife was pregnant also, by the way. Katerina was pregnant while they're doing this. The chaplain's wife died, lost the baby. She died. They had other people into their home, kind of in and out, and they were just nursing, taking care of people. And then Katerina writes about the time that her baby was finally born. So the plague kind of popped up and then re- receded a bit by from August to November. And then December 10th, she had baby Elizabeth. And this is what she says. The good Lord gave me a little girl, the sweet little Elizabeth. I am happy and grateful to the Lord. Here the plague is dead and buried. However, it seems as if the terrible scourge has marked the child even before she was born. And then, yeah, after eight months, their daughter died. And in the midst of all that, you know Luther's wondering, gosh, what's right? What's right for us to do? What's the right answer? They took off, went out of town. Probably good reasons to do that, right? Protect yourself, protect your life, your family. He stayed and maybe bore some consequences of that. And because he was a theologian and a pretty popular pastor. He's kind of big in the church world if you never heard of him. Um, people were asking, Martin Luther, what should we do? And the name of this letter is rather formal. Whether one may flee from a deadly plague. Just to be super clear, okay. I don't think coronavirus is the plague. All right, There are obvious differences there. But man, there is some good stuff to learn. So he ended up writing this letter in response to these questions. And he looked into the Word, looked into his own experience, and wrote an open letter for everybody to read. And sure enough, here we are, 500 years later, to read part of that letter. I don't know if you noticed, we are in the middle of a world-changing, world-defining moment. And I don't think we should emerge from it. I don't want to emerge from it unchanged. The questions that we're all facing right now. How do I live in this moment? What am I supposed to do in this moment? So I found this letter, just to be honest. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was Googling something to the effect of what in the world should I do with my life? What am I doing? What am I meant to do? And I dug deep enough to find this letter. And I read it and it stuck in my craw and I couldn't shake it. And there's stuff that I needed to learn from it. It was very convicting. I don't know if you're a Christian here this morning. I don't know all of you. Um, I'm glad you're here. If you're watching online, maybe you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. Um, One of the questions the church is asking is how can we be the church in this moment? And I hope that I mean, you feel super welcome to be here, checking out what we believe. You don't have to believe everything we do. Hopefully, you'll figure out some wisdom. We're all in the same boat right now, right? Hopefully, we'll all get some wisdom here this morning of how to live right now in this moment. I'm going to have to summarize it. It's like 20 pages. But basically, he says there are some different approaches, right? There's two obvious ones. These will not be... Unfamiliar to you in today's day and age. But he says there are different, even opposite errors that we could make on different approaches to whether or not we should flee from the plague. So, on the one side, there are people who, like the professors in his college, we're out, <laughs> we're going, we're going to leave, we don't want the plague, maybe we want to protect our families, whatever, we're gone. And you might fairly think of this group, I'm not pointing at you guys, as the group that says, let's isolate, let's mask, not let's require masks, let's shut everything down. And just to be totally transparent, we kind of value that at Grace Church. I lean in that direction, okay, so you can judge my biases as we go through this, but I'm somewhere in the middle, but I'm probably closer to that side. That's like, oh my gosh, yes, let's wear a mask. And what he says to us in that camp first, he says, to flee from death, to save one's life, is a natural God given tendency. It's okay to do that as long as it's not at the expense of God or your neighbor. You can flee. He says, Ephesians 5.29, no man ever hates his own flesh. He nourishes it, cares for it. It's okay to run from death. He gave several examples. Abraham, a great saint, fled death by pretending his wife was his sister. Isaac did the same thing. Jacob fled from his brother Esau, didn't want to die at his hands. David fled Saul and Absalom. So he said, it's okay to do that as long as it doesn't hurt your relationship with God or it's against God or it's against or hurts your neighbor somehow. Secondly, he says, Nobody should dare leave their neighbor unless they're sure someone is there to care for them. So I think that's partially why Martin stayed, right? He wanted to make sure there are people to take care of the people of Wittenberg. So he stayed. He said... In such cases, we have to respect the word of Christ. I was sick, and you didn't visit me. Matthew 25. We're obliged to assist, help our neighbor, as we ourselves would like to be helped. Okay, and then thirdly, it's kind of tough. He said it's generally true, and I think it's still true, of Christians that many of us are weak, and few of us are strong. He said it takes more than a milk Faith, ouch, to await a death before which most of the saints themselves have been and are still in dread. Okay, on the other hand, he writes about people who want to stay and face whatever the plague will bring. Have at me, you know. You might fairly think, maybe, of this group as being those today who want to open up everything, don't want to wear a mask, or or rarely, and they don't want to isolate, ever. To this group, Luther says this, don't be rash and reckless, tempting God, disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. You might think of masks. They do not avoid places and persons infected, but they lightheartedly just wish to prove how independent and free they are. They say, if God wants to protect me, he can do so without medicine or my carefulness. This is Luther writing. This is not trusting God. This is tempting God. God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body. Secondly, he says, it's even more shameful for a person in this camp to pay no heed to his own body, fail to protect it, and then against the plague as best he can, and then infect and poison others from his lack of care. Such people behave as though a house were burning in the middle of the city, and nobody is trying to put the fire out. Instead, they give leeway to the flames so that the whole city is consumed. Because if God so willed, he could put the flames out without water. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch on both sides. To, to all of us, wherever you land, he says, we've got to pray. We've got to pray against every form of error and evil. And guard against it to the best of our ability. So that we're not acting contrary to God. And we agree, like, (laughs) there are just potential errors and evils on every side, okay? You might say, close everything down with no regard for the economy at all. Open everything up with no regard for the effect on your health, public health. To be too afraid of a virus to minister to your neighbor, obviously, if you're at risk, you got to find a way to do it safely, but you got to find a way to exercise your freedom and your fearlessness, but not really for the sake of your neighbor. And for any of us, to stand in judgment over someone who holds a different opinion than us, especially Facebook. Sorry, we're watching on Facebook. It's not all good. Um, These are probably all errors. Errors from different sides of the issue, okay? The common ground, though. There's a common ground that's set forth in this letter. It's awesome. That answers the question, how can I stop going to church and be the church? The common ground, this guiding principle for this side and this side. You probably know. We have to do it for our neighbors. We have to take care of our neighbors, the parable of the Good Samaritan is in full effect here. And if you didn't grow up in church, at least you've heard of a Good Samaritan, right? I mean, we should have copyrighted it. It's kind of a big deal. It started in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to test to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, some money, gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think? Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, yeah, you go and do likewise. I love to look at this story in light of where we're at today and, and even think about, obviously, he was robbed, this man, beaten up, half dead. But I also think, ah, okay, he's got the virus. And I love to think also of these two men priest and a Levite, maybe they were just coming down from the temple. It says they're coming down from Jerusalem where they would have worshipped at the temple. We don't know that they were just coming back from church, but we do know that they spent a lot of time in church, okay? That was sort of their role. And they totally missed, in spite of spending a lot of time in church, (laughs) they missed being the church. You see how one doesn't equal the other. It's kind of the point of this series, okay? The point of this series is not really, I joke about it, but stop coming to church. Yeah, there's even a verse about it. You're not supposed to forsake that. But, man, it better not be at the expense of actually being the church. These men, somehow, they felt comfortable walking by. Their opportunity to be the church, and perhaps it's because they spent enough time in church. I'm good, I'm good, I'm doing the church thing. That's not the church thing. <laughs> Secondly, you, you got to figure both these guys knew the scriptures pretty well, okay? And maybe they thought, to their credit, they had reasons not to get involved. One might have been, oh, you know, if I Help this man, and he turns out to be dead. Then I'm defiled, and I have to go through this ritual, and I can't minister. Maybe, but we also know they knew Leviticus nineteen eighteen that says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," and they didn't do it. I know it seems, when I just said it, it sounded really harsh, but it's kind of a harsh reality. Their knowledge of scripture didn't change their behavior. To Luther's point, what did loving their neighbor require them to do for this person by the side of the road? Or more to the point, what are we required to do? Those of us who claim to know Jesus as our Savior and claim to follow him, what are we required to do for the neighbor who's suffering? From iso- I mean, people are isolated right now. And it could get worse. We don't know what's going to happen in the month. What are we what does love require us to do for that neighbor who's isolated, suffering financial ruin right now? Maybe even in this church body. Maybe they have a virus? I'll read a little section of this letter. Ah, oh, it's so good. Plus it's Luther saying it. Not anybody else. Just Luther. You got a problem? Take it up with Luther. Um, he's dead. You can't really, but... A man who will not help or support his... By the way, I am preaching to myself, okay? The reason I struggled and why this stuck in me is because that's not where I'm at. It wasn't where I was at at the beginning of this virus. So I'm struggling, right along with any of you who might be willing to struggle with me. A man who will not help or support others unless he can do so without affecting his safety or his property, or I would add his freedom, freedom, will never help his neighbor. He will always reckon with the possibility that doing so will bring some disadvantage, damage, danger, loss of freedom. No neighbor can live alongside another without risk to his safety property, wife, children. He must run the risk that fire or some other accident or virus, I'm throwing that in, will start in the neighbor's house and ultimately destroy him, bodily deprive him of goods, wife, children, even all that he has. Anyone who doesn't do that for his neighbor but forsakes him and leaves him to his misfortune becomes a murderer in the sight of God. As John states in his epistles, whoever doesn't love his brother is a murderer. And again, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? First John. I'm so thankful to be part of this church body. Um... Because I, I know firsthand, we have so many of you that are doing it. You're being the church, okay? We should be encouraged. I want to encourage you right now. Without calling anybody, without text posting on Facebook, hey, can anybody think of stories? From my own brain, I could think of like a lot, okay? There's a couple in our church so cool so someone else in our church to make a little extra money sells eggs this couple went and bought eggs they didn't need a bunch of eggs they bought a bunch of eggs and then they gave the eggs away to people in our church that is being the church like on so many levels so cool there's a family whose son had a really bad accident in arizona a spike state ah the virus is peaking in arizona And so the parents went to be with him because of COVID. They couldn't actually be with him in the hospital. A couple from our church traveled to Arizona to stay with them while that was going on. Uh, There's no greater generosity that we could show at this time than our presence with people. And that's what they did. You can keep praying. The sun's doing better. You can still pray. During this pandemic pandemic. Somebody in her church found a way with masks and isolating and whatever else, I don't know, to share the hope that they have in Jesus Christ with someone else and led them to a relationship with Jesus so they can know the hope forever. So cool. I know this kid pretty well. A G-Kids kid who at the beginning... Just wanted to know, what can we do for our neighbors? Likes to draw. He drew a little coronavirus, a little hand sanitizer, you know, on this piece of paper. He was like, hey, we're this family. We live here. Here's our phone number. We want to help. Passed it around the neighborhood. (laughs) That is being the church. Oh, my gosh. How about a mom who called her kid's teacher... Aren't teachers going through it right now? Oh my goodness, we need to be praying for them. Called this teacher to talk school stuff, but really also, how are you doing? Gosh, it's got to be tough on you. That is being the church. I love it. We took up an offering, sent four grand to Manila, Philippines, out of the blue, because churches and pastors there, they couldn't receive offerings because they only do it in person. And they were, you think we got it bad here. They're in quarantine. Like, they might get shot if they leave their house. Certainly couldn't collect offerings. We kept their churches going. You guys did that. That's being the church. Definitely being generous. The hope offering that we've given to two Christmases in a row. We saved up that money. And look where we are now. Able to give that money away to people who are hurting. And we're doing that. Man, that is being the church. Good job, Grace Church. You can give yourselves a round. I mean, that's pretty cool. I love it. Here's a family. They don't actually show up here on Sunday mornings. They're part of our church. They're not here because at their home, they host teenagers. They spend the night, Saturday night, give them a huge breakfast Sunday morning. They're being the church. met with a guy and I said, hey, Don't stop what you're doing there to be here Sunday morning. Find a way to stay connected, because you need that. But just tell us what you need. We want you to do that there with them. Not sit here and listen to me. They're not even watching now. They're doing better things. Again, they got to stay connected. It's important. We need each other. It's never going to work just us on our own but we don't trade this for that. Oh, remember when we did the, the viewing parties, we were trying to figure out how can we connect people during corona, and we said, hey, invite a neighbor over. Watch the service online with them. And then when we started meeting here again, what did we say? Don't stop doing that to come here. If that's working, you're with your neighbor. Keep doing that. You can watch online. It's working, right? We're on Facebook. Okay, you can watch online. Um, So cool. How can we be generous in this moment? How can we be the church instead of simply going to church? That's how. All of those examples. You've got lots more examples probably than I do. But again, the greatest generosity we can show, I love in some of those examples, it was people being with people being with those teenagers, being with that family in Arizona. People want to know that we're with them. We're for them. Even if it's on the phone, they can hear us. People need that right now. We won't leave our house. We won't wear a mask. It's very unlikely if we won't do those things that we would lay down our lives for our neighbors. But that's what Christ did for us. And if you find yourself in a place, and it's entirely possible, I've been there. I just cut my hours in half at my other job. But if you find yourself in a place where you're just so busy, or maybe you're satisfied, I'm doing church, I go to church, so much so that you can't or you won't or you just don't, you're not being the church Stop going to church. <laughs> Literally. Go be the church. Because I, in my opinion, I think when you are the church, then you're going to see, oh, I need the church too. You'll find a way to do both. But if it's one or the other, why don't you just stop going to church? We don't need more priests and Levites stepping over half-dead bodies on their way to church. Ouch. (laughs) Why are there so many errors and evils to sort through? Because I'm part of it. (laughs) I'm part of the equation and so are you. That's why we get it wrong. We mess it up. Jesus can do it right, but he wants to use us. And so we have to work through when it gets messy, when it gets hard. And in the mix of all that, we've got to, got to have grace for each other. Grace for people that don't believe the same way that we do. Grace for people that don't look like us. Grace for our neighbors. What is grace? It's unwarranted kindness. Undeserved generosity. Making your enemy your best friend. Which is what God did for us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, not after we got cleaned up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us in this. God proved his grace for us. If you want to know more about that, if you're online, if you're here, um, send a little message to us on Facebook. Go to com. send us a message. Grab me, grab the person that brought you if you're here today. We'd love to tell you more about the grace the fact that God is not counting our sins against us anymore because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Amazing news. We were dead before that. We shouldn't be afraid of a virus. Man, thanks for being here, trying to figure out what can we do to be the church in these odd times. God, it it feels... At times, just impossible to unite such different people, the church, your church, for one cause, for the sake of being the church for our neighbors. It feels like a mountain. But our neighbors and our world need to see the church do just that. That's how they know that we're Christians, that's how they know that we follow you, and that what we preach is not just words. So glad, God, that you're faithful, that your promises are true, that you're true, and that you can move that mountain. You can move mountains. God, would you move us to be the church? In Jesus' name.